Welcome back to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. I'm your Hori host, Alex Grant. Today we have a very special interview. My friend John A. Moser, lover of pop culture, interviewed six people in Reading, Pennsylvania to track down the history of Jim Starenko. This was back in 1973. The sixth person that he interviewed was the Western Kid Cult and Hot Rod comic artist Jack Keller, who worked in comics since the Golden Age for companies like Quality, Fawcett, Atlas, Marvel, Charlton, and more. Moser interviews Keller about details of his history in comics, as well as discussing his meeting a young, impressionable Jim Steranko, as well as other characters in comic history like Stan Lee, Dick Giordano, and Sal Gentile. John was gracious enough to share these files with the world and CBH from his SoundCloud, so the first five were given a massive audio restoration treatment by me and are located and transcribed at the interview section of comicbookhistorians.com. And the sixth one, Jack Keller, is digitally restored and audio engineered by me and presented here. So everyone, when you have a chance, make sure to thank John A. Moser for the opportunity to listen to this one and only interview that he conducted, starting with Jack Keller answering his day of birth. June 16th, 1922. Okay, and when did you first become interested in drawing, and what did you draw first? Well, of course, I uh, was always interested in drawing. I uh, drew comics. I would copy them from the newspapers when I was just a little fellow, even before I went to school. Are there any artists who influenced you or any particular artists that led you into comics? There was no artist that actually led me into comics. The desire was all my own. And I would have to say that I was early influenced by uh, Milton Kniff. I liked his style very much. And at that period of time, after I got out of high school, tearing the pirates was a very big thing. And I think a lot of people were trying to imitate him at the time. I liked his style, although uh, I can't say I ever made much of an effort to follow it. How did you come to draw for the comics? Well, it seemed that no one in this area had even the slightest idea how to get into the field. So I wrote and illustrated some stories on my own, mailed them into the addresses that I found in the comic books. Have you ever attended any formal art school? Are you self-taught? I'm a self-taught artist. When I first got out of high school, I did try a correspondence course. I think it was rather poor and did very little for me. Most of my experience was uh, gained while actually in the process of drawing the comics for the magazines. And I think I learned quite a bit in the first year I was in the business when I worked, it was 1941, that I was actually breaking in completely. Although I had written and illustrated a story called The Whistler, which I sold to Dell Comics while I was still at home. But then after that, I got a job as a background artist for Lou Fine uh, when he was illustrating The Spirit. How long did you work for Lou Fine? I worked for him about one year. Then I... Uh, Decided that uh, I didn't like New York very much. Wait, did you say that you moved to New York? Yeah, well, I don't know if I had. I had worked staff at for Quality Comics when I was doing the backgrounds for Luke Fine. So I was in New York for one year. You mentioned you didn't like New York. No, I didn't like New York at all. I didn't like the big crowds. where Every time you went out to eat, you had to wait in line. Anything you did, it seemed to be a crowd. And uh, I preferred the freedom of Reading rather than the uh, 
confinement of the big city, uh, with the loneliness also of the big city. So you moved back to Reading? Yeah. Well, what I did was while I was still working for uh, Quality Comics, I uh, took some work around to Fawcett, and I got a strip called Johnny Blair. It was just a filler for a Captain Marvel comic book. It was an airplane strip about Civil Air Patrol. So I did that, and I also got some work then from uh, Fiction House, and I was doing a lot of airplane uh, stories at that time. I was very much influenced by Air War, which was uh, quite a thing of the time. That was between 42 and 45. I uh, illustrated Clipper Kirk and Suicide Smith, sometimes since I did the strips. But uh, Clipper Kirk was a, a naval pilot, and uh, he was always on an aircraft carrier, you know. And it seemed every time he cracked up, I think he uh, fell into the arms of a beautiful girl. <laughs> it was always the same script as every time. And Suicide Smith was pretty similar, only he was uh, a Marine pilot. Then after the war, the Army stories and Navy stories disappeared, and it seemed that crime stories were starting to pick up then. So I did some work for Byron Woods on the Crime Does Not Pay strips, and I also did some work for Hillman Publications, uh, including a strip called the uh, Rosebud Sisters, which was about two elderly ladies. I think it was a takeoff from arsenic and old lace, and they got in all kinds of uh, curious situations. I worked on those strips, and then uh, seeing that detective stories were uh, fading a bit, and around 48 and 49, I also did some work for a parochial school magazine called Topics, and it was a comic strips that would tell the lives of priests. Then there were also all types of heroes, maybe a racing hero or any type of hero, as long as he had a parochial background, uh, which incidentally I do not. I ran into some technical problems with that at times. You knew Jim Steranko earlier in your career. How did you come to know him? Well, I knew Jim because he got the word that I was uh, working in the comics, and he came to me when he was about 17 or 18 years old. Jim showed me uh, drawings he was working on, they were very interesting and very encouraging. And he was still crude naturally at that point, but uh, certainly was a, a measure of talent there, which has later proven to be uh, very much so. I tried to give him a few tips to work with a brush more so than a pen. I think he was working with a pen at the time, mostly. And at that time, uh, most of the comics had been uh, finished in brushwork. What was the reason for that? I don't know. For one thing, uh, there weren't any really good fountain-type drawing pens around. It seemed to be the uh, type of work that the publishers were going for. So uh, Jim and I had some contacts then over the years, and it wasn't until nine, ten years later, I think, that Jim actually broke into the business. He always had the desire, and we occasionally would talk about it. I did tell him that there was I could tell him where to go and what to do, but it was all basically up to him as far as the advancement go, and he took care of it very nicely. That's for sure. What came next in your career? Did you go on to Marvel? Yes, it was about 1950 that I uh, started with Marvel. And uh, when I started there, at first, uh, we would do uh, a lot of strips that were just one-and-done type of uh, adventures. So variety of crime stories, war, and uh, also a few weirds. And then about 51, Stan gave me the assignment to do Kid Colt. And he liked the job I did on it. So that lasted for about 15 years. And then I finally was the one that quit 
because of uh, another commitment. To what do you attribute the lengthy period you were on Kid Colt? Well, I never give it that much thought, but uh, Kid Colt always seemed to have a definite appeal for the public. But <laughs> you put on a question, I mean, I, I just never gave any thought to why did it last so long? I think perhaps the answer might be in uh, that little paragraph that's written there, that it, it was, my style was always very clean and easily uh, followed. I think I was always a pretty good storyteller with my illustration. And I think Kid Colt may have been a bit of my older ego at times, too, because I think Kid Colt is a sort of person that everyone, at least from my era, wanted to be an adventure hero. And uh, Westerns were a very big thing with boys when I was uh, youth. What was the commitment that caused you to leave Kid Colt? I had a choice at that time. I was getting very wrapped up with automobile illustration. And at that time, the uh, racing stories I was working on for Charlton were progressing quite nicely. Dick Giordano was the editor at the time. And Dick Giordano offered me a very nice package if I would go exclusively with Charlton and uh, forsake my duties with uh, Marvel. So uh, I told Stan Lee about this. And when I did, then he gave me a counteroffer to go with Marvel exclusively. I pondered the question quite a bit because they both had been excellent people to work for. And I liked Stan Lee very much. And I also enjoyed uh, Dick Giordano's company. So uh, I finally decided on going with Charlton for the simple reason. I thought the subject matter was more appealing to me at the time. And that was the sole reason. Actually, financially, Stan Lee's offer was superior. So it was a matter of just illustrating what I liked best. And at that time, it was uh, auto racing. One of my questions is, how did you finally become connected with Charlton? But I suppose you just answered mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I became connected, actually, with Charlton way back before that. It was back in 58. I was connected with Charlton because Kid Colt comics had come to a halt because there was a, a problem with the distribution. American News had been distributing Marvel comics at that time, and they went out of business. And when this happened, it threw a halt to all publication of Marvel comics for the simple reason that they had no one to distribute the magazines. So that was a time that actually I started selling cars, but that doesn't mean anything. Well, the reason that Marvel was not able to distribute their magazines was that all the other distributing companies had other comic book lines and they felt that this would be in conflict with the other lines that they were distributing. Marvel was placed in a very uncomfortable position at that time and it wasn't till several months later that they finally did establish with another distributing company. I'm not certain whether it was their own or whether uh, they became affiliated with another company. How did this uh, distribution of the Marvel comics lead you to become connected with Charlton? Oh, yes. Well, the lack of distribution, of course, one of the unfortunate parts of being a comic magazine artist, a freelancer, is the fact that when you are out of work, you are completely out of income. You cannot draw unemployment compensation. You must find work somewhere. So I think I waited about two months, and Stanley would kept assuring me that they were soon going to be started. It didn't happen. So then I decided I would follow a pursuit. I was always interested in automobiles. So I contacted Marshall Chevrolet, 
and I got a job there in 1957. So I had only been working at Cars for a few months when uh, Stanley and uh, Marvel Comics finally solved their problem, and he wanted me to uh, start illustrating Kid Cold again. I told him I felt a little committed towards Marshall Chevrolet, since I had assured him at the time that I would not quit immediately if comics did come back. So I merely penciled Kid Colt for about seven or eight months. But I was dissatisfied with the unsatisfactory way that the uh, strip was being inked. So uh, after about being with Marvel for 13 months... I decided to uh, go back to uh, comic books entirely again. And at that time, I also made a move towards Charlton Publications. And I think that the experience I gained while selling cars was helpful, along with my natural desire and uh, interest in auto racing. I don't suppose you have any idea who that inker of Kate Holt was? I'd rather not say. I do know who he was, but <laughs> I'm not going to say. That's fine. What was the first assignment that you received from Charlton? Charlton. Well, the first assignment was uh, an auto racing strip. It was something about the race that used to be held in Mexico. And I, at the moment, I can't recall what it was called, but it was not the Baja or uh, anything of that sort, but it was a Mexican uh, road race that they had. And I think it was about a five page strip. And I also did a few Westerns for them at the time. And the Sheriff of Tombstone became one of them. And I did some war stories for them. But more and more as the time went on, it became to the effect that I would do nothing except exclusive work on the auto racing stories because that was where my main interest was. What editorial restrictions have you been faced with at Charlton? And did you find that you had any greater editorial freedom in one company than at another? Well, I certainly had more editorial freedom at Charlton than I did with Marvel. And that was one of the reasons uh, I liked working at Charlton. With Charlton, not in the very first years, from 57 to 62, I worked from prepared scripts, but from 62 on, I uh, wrote and illustrated the stories myself. And the thing I liked about it was I had almost complete freedom, except that I had to use the characters that were established, although I did help create some of the others later on, like uh, Scott Jackson I created, and I also created Rick Roberts, which was incidentally my favorite auto racing character. And I think it was a big mistake when some years later that they were faced with a, a cutback in the magazines that Rick Roberts was dropped. Although it was the Grand Prix magazine, I thought Grand Prix was a great title, which I had submitted incidentally. I think it was a, a big mistake when they dropped that strip because I think it was the best of all the racing characters. Were you with Hot Rods and Racing Cars from the beginning of its publication? No, I wasn't. No, Hot Rods and Racing Cars had been established several years before I became affiliated with I became affiliated with them in 57. And that was when I was still doing some work with Marshall Chevrolet. But I think I did one or two strips. And then that was when I made my decide to change back into comic books. Do you know about any of the other artists that have worked on Hot Rods and Racing Cars and some of the similar Charlton comic books? Only one, that's Dick Giordano. Dick Giordano did a lot of covers, and he was a very fine editor. I enjoyed working with Dick, and I think while Dick was editor, the books kept growing each year because we had 
conferences every year or possibly twice a year. And always something constructive came out of it. And the books continued to grow. It was only after Dick Jardell moved on to uh, greener pastures, I think the books started to slide. And one reason was there was a complete lack of communication with me and the editorial staff of uh, Charles Cummings. And so there are supplements that used to be, of course, you wouldn't know them unless you would see oh, very a reprint. With them. You know the spirit. They're being well, there was Lady Luck in there, and then there was Mr. Mystic. It was the same artist that drew Mr. Mystic. He did a nice job on it, first few. No, Will Eisner was creator of the spirit. Right. But then they had Lady Luck in that supplement, and they also had Mr. Mystic. And then he, this artist drew Mr. Mystic, but I can't, I just can't remember. Stranko knows it, and he told me about it. Arthritis or something like that, real bad. All he could do was some pencilings now, I think. Had a, a hodgepodge of artists in there. They're doing a terrible job. They were totally uninformed about techniques of racing and what a racing car actually looked like. They didn't know about suspensions or anything. Spirit is being reprinted in case you're interested. Uh, oh, is it? In more than one form. There's an underground comic book and... Also a series of very small reprints in black and white, which really don't do justice to their work. Teenage Hot Rodders became Dragon Wheels. Well, actually, first of all, there were hot rods and racing cars when I joined Charles. Then after a while, they went into a second magazine. And when they went into the second magazine, they were going to start giving me the opportunity to write. Before that, they would not let me write. This was when Pat Masulli was editor at Charm. Before? As before Dick Giordano. Yes. Dick Giordano was assistant editor in that. And they said to me, we're going to take on a second magazine because the one is doing quite well. So I suggest, I said, uh, why not call the magazine Drag? And Pat Masulli hesitated a moment and he thought... It's a pretty good title, he said, but we already have one. And he said, uh, we're going to call it Teenage Hot Rodders. Everything was teenage werewolves and everything else that was going on in the early 60s there. So it was a big thing with the movies at that time. And they thought Teenage Hot Rodders was a better title than drag. simple word of drag was a great title. What do you mean, though, when you said they already had one? Well, I think they did. I think that they already had this set up, the the, uh, Teenage uh, Hot Rodders. And they had formulated it in their minds, at least, if it hadn't been uh, the uh, title made up as such. Yeah, they had made up the title before you suggested it's drag. quite possible, yeah, they did. Was there some other company to use the title drag later on? Yes, about a year and a half or two years later, I'd say. Millar came out with, uh, I guess that was Peterson Publications, and at that time had a cartoon called Drag cartoons then and that was a very popular cartoon magazine still around today yeah i know it is the only thing i could say more about uh, the hot rods and racing cars it remained as two books for a while it was uh, hot rods and racing cars and teenage hot rodders then these books did quite well and uh, they became so popular that it grew into four books and there were four magazines there for a while and one of them was grand prix which was my favorite and dragon wheels then charlton made up purchase of a whole comic group. I think that Harvey Publications may have been doing uh, like Beetle Bailey. The King Features. What's that King Features? Probably the King Features characters. They bought that allotment and with that, they had to cut in half all the magazines that they were currently doing. So they decided to chop two of the Hot Rod books off. That's right. One of them had changed into Ken King then too, which was a motorcycle character we had for a while. 
And the three magazines, Dragon Wheels, Hot Rods and Racing Cars, and Grand Prix had all been doing well. The motorcycle book had been lagging a bit behind. So when they were forced to cut to two, they dropped Grand Prix. And that sort of left me in a bad spot because all I had left was two drag racing characters, Clint Curtis and Scott Jackson. So drag racing, of course, has the least amount of interesting material you can write about because you're only racing in a straight line, for one thing. Of course, there are many other situations that they can get into. But for a dramatic appeal and everything, I had to try to make a conversion then of Clint Curtis into Rick Roberts so I would not have to abandon most of the interesting racing material. And the conversion never seemed to be quite complete in my mind. I don't think it ever came across too well with the public because uh, he had been more or less established as a hot rod character. Who had been editor at Charlton at this time? Sal Gentile. And is he the editor today? No, George Wildman is the editor today. It was under George's direction that they finally decided to drop both of the auto racing books that I had been working on. Well, I was also doing some war stories for them at the time, too. What was the reason behind the cancellation of the hot rod comic books you'd been doing for Charlton? Well, I think that the books had reached a point where some dramatic changes had to be made. For one thing, we had to come out with characters with hang-ups. The simple nice guy that just goes out and has an adventure was becoming passe, and it was definitely a point where we had to make a move. But George didn't seem to want to go along with another racing-type character, so uh, he had some ideas of his own, and the books were dropped, and with the dropping of the books, I had reached a point where I had to do something else. And I uh, decided to go back into the old profession of selling cars. At Marshall Chevrolet. Marshall Chevrolet again, yeah. What did they say? What was their reaction? You mean Marshall Chevrolet? Oh, they welcomed me very much so. I'm a pretty good salesman. And I enjoy selling. I enjoy uh, my contact with the public. One big advantage, I think, of selling cars as opposed to uh, being an artist is not a lonely job. It's anything but. I think most people are gregarious, and they, they like to uh, be around a lot of people, and I know that's one of my problems. But the only thing I really had against the comic work was being constantly alone. Perhaps uh, that could have been solved by uh, affiliating myself with another artist and uh, having a studio to work in together. That probably would have been the answer to it. How extensive was your contact with the editors of Charlton? Did you just simply correspond with them through the mail or talk to them over the phone, or did you meet with them and where? Well, when Dick Giordano was editor, there was constant contact in all mediums. But when Sal Gentile became editor, he was a very courteous man. I could never make an appointment that seemed to, uh, or any kind of arrangement, to meet him in New York. And going to Connecticut was a bit far. I never met the man personally, nor George Wildman. And certainly this breakdown of communications uh, with just telephone calls is not the answer. Because I felt that there were definite changes that had to be made. I felt I could have made them successfully if we could have had these meetings. But since they never came about, the books seemed to be doomed to uh, failure. People at Marshall Chevrolet, aren't they afraid that you're going to suddenly return to comics? Well, they realize there's that definite possibility. And if something comes along that's attractive to me in comics, I'll definitely go back to comics. But it has to be something that I can really express myself in every way that I really want to. I want the subject matter to be something that's very suitable to me. 
and also that arouses my interest. What competition did Charlton have with its racing comics and what was your opinion of them? Well, the only competition I think we ever had was some from D.C., but it only lasted a very short time. That was called Hot Wheels. I did some filler strips uh, for DC on Hot Wheels, and I also did one of the feature stories in there. So you have worked for DC? Yeah, that was when Dick Giordano was editor there. He had contacted me on it. He left Charlton and... Dick Giordano had left Charlton, and he went to DC for a while. And he was an editor there, and then it was only later on that he decided that he would be much happier going back to illustrating. And he is a very fine illustrator and exceptional inker. What about Gold Key or Dell? Have they ventured into this theme of comic book publishing? Gold Key? It seems to me that I was contacted by Sal Trapani to uh, pencil some strips for him at one time. I'm trying to remember the name of the character, but at the moment it escapes me. And I did pencil a few for him. I never saw how his inking turned out on it, though, or anything. I don't know what happened to the strip, but it. Uh, I told him at the time once I saw the the way it had been written and the theme that they were going on it was a teenage gang, and it was sort of a approach to hot riding that had long passed. I told him I felt the book was doomed to failure from the start, and I don't think it ever got very far. To sum up the rundown of your career. All the companies you have worked for are Marvel, Quality, DC Briefly, Charlton, and any others? Well, there was Hillman, and there was uh, Byron Woods. We did have Quality, that's right. That, that sums it up pretty well, I think. Fawcett, I did some work for, too. See, did you explain what you did for them? For Fawcett? Perhaps I did, I don't know. That was uh, right after the spirit. Johnny Blair, I think I did mention Johnny Blair in the air. I think that we should keep progressing along with the times and not go back to reprints. What are the possibilities of a revival of Kid Cult? I really don't know. I haven't discussed it at length with uh, Stan Lee or Roy Thomas, but perhaps in one of the future meetings of the convention over there, I just might stop over and uh, perhaps we'll get together or something. Who knows? Do you plan to go to the convention this July? Yes, I think I'd like to. I haven't attended the others, but I think I'm going to go to this one. Good, I'll see you there. All right. I'll be there all five days. My pleasure to see you. I'll give you the information if you need it. Okay, fine. Could you explain a little of the techniques you use in your work and the materials that you mm -hmm. use? Well, I was using, uh, in the last few years, I was using a regular stock that I got from Charlton Comics. Before that, of course, I had gone to Strathmore a bit, as everyone else has. I guess they've tried Strathmore at one time or another. How do you spell it? Strathmore? Yeah. S-T-R-A-T-H-M-O-R-E. That can be obtained at any art store, Strathmore. Uh, I usually use the high finish. You can get it in a medium finish, too, that a lot of artists use. You're talking about the paper. Right. We're talking about the paper content now. And then, of course, Windsor Newton brushes. I had used a variety of them. I think probably a two is the most versatile. I had gone all the way up to a five at the suggestion of Dick Giordano. The five is a very meaty brush. And it has a beautiful point, even though it has uh, ability to uh, contain a lot of ink. And you can uh, ink a lot more without refilling the brush there. But I think you get finer work and a little bit more detail with a two or possibly a three. 
My son Richard, when he was about 15 and a half, till he uh, recently had uh, used a rapidograph number two pen, and he did all my lettering, and he did a beautiful job. It was nice work for him because Richard is now 19, and he's attending Penn State uh, College in any uh, local area here. And next year, of course, he's going to campus. Yeah, I have some friends at the Burke's extension, yeah. extension of uh, yeah. Penn State. Maybe he knows are you generally pleased with the way your work appears in print? I know a lot of artists aren't. I think, generally speaking, uh, as Charlton, especially for some years, had very poor presses. And more recently, their copy is a lot more crisp and sharp. But in some years past, it had been quite blurred. They had very poor presses. And a lot of the work, I think one thing that always irritates an artist a bit, too, is if the coloring is offset and it doesn't appear exactly... In other words, you might have a mouth with lipstick on, and the lipstick is a bit off to the side of the mouth. And a lot of the detailing, and if you get into too fine of a line, very much of that is often lost in the reduction and in the reprint. And how long does it usually take you to do one comic book story? Well, that would depend upon the number of pages, but uh, I was fairly rapid with my work, especially in recent years. I had uh, simplified it somewhat, possibly because of the rates they were paying, and I would uh, pencil a page in an hour to an hour and a half, and inking would take uh, approximately an hour and a half, two hours for a page. When you would work with your pencils, would you work simply and then put details in later on with the ink? Yes, I did that quite often, uh, especially like when I was drawing wheels or anything of that sort. I would sketch them very loosely, and I could pick up the detail very easily in the inking then. And the general drawing, I never filled in blacks or anything like that. I wouldn't say never, but generally I didn't fill them in. Okay, uh, what are some of your hobbies, auto racing, and about these models of cars that's surrounding us in this room? Well, I am a miniature car collector in addition to being a racing car buff, and primarily I do collect uh, miniature racing cars. Now, a lot of these models were quite helpful when I was illustrating the racing comics because when you draw a Ferrari... Uh, it should look like the Ferrari you're drawing, and if you uh, draw a Porsche 917, that's exactly what it should look like. So you need a combination of photographs plus a three-dimensional model to carry through all the way because when you're illustrating a story, you're going to have to cover it from every angle. So this would be to much greater advantage than using magazine illustrations. That's right. In other words, a photograph will give you some detail, especially if you're going to the technical parts of the motor, that a model couldn't possibly give you. But it'll still hold you to that one position or two or three that's offered to you in the magazine. Whereas if you have a three-dimensional model, you have it from any angle you want. Where are these models from, and aren't they quite expensive? They are quite expensive. They range in price from, uh, original price, used to say, from about $2 to about $8 or 9 in price. And the one thing that's kind of nice about the hobby is the fact that once they become obsolete, they grow in value. And some of the models, actually, uh, we purchased as long as 20 years ago when did, the boys were... Did you say where they were from? No, I didn't say where they're from. They're all imported models. They're all die-casts. Rome. And they come from... Italy is one of the major producers, and France and England. Uh, they're the three major producers, and they do the finest quality. There's also some from Germany and Sweden. 
What do you think of the Matchbox cars? Oh, uh, there are some people that get really wrapped up in, in something like Matchbox. I like a much more detailed model, and I like uh, the more realistic, the better. Now, Matchbox has never interested me. We had something when the boys were small. I made some nice trades with them, though. I'll say that for some better pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that they would grow in value as soon as they go out of, well, you can't say out of print in this situation. Let me show you. Now, here's two examples. This one is an old Fraser Nash. Uh, this was uh, actually cast in the uh, 30s by Dinky Toys. It sold for approximately $1 uh, when it was new. Now, uh, today, I sold one just like that recently for 12 so it has grown in value it's very crude now here is one made by rio of italy and it's an old fiat it sells for about six dollars right now but once that becomes obsolete i think you'll agree that that's going to be worth some money because it is a beautifully detailed model mm -hmm, definitely they're truly accurate of today's cars i have a contemporary car you should say all day right here to tell well, it's a McLaren. They're beautiful little models. You can't buy them in the Reading area. You can buy some, but a very limited amount. Most of them I get through a distributor in California called Mark Key Products. Hmm. Are there any contemporary artists, not necessarily connected with comics, who you admire? Well, there's one artist that I've always admired his work, and that's Peter Helk. Great illustrator of old-time racing cars. I don't know whether you've ever seen any of his work. I know he does beautiful paintings and everything. He does all these very old illustrations, uh, very early days of racing, such as the old Vanderbilt Cup races, and when they actually worked raced on dirt roads and things of that sort. But he does beautiful work on it. Okay, do you have any uh, advice for a student who is interested in the field of art? Well, anyone interested in the field of art, I would say get a formal background. This is perhaps my biggest regret. The fact that perhaps I couldn't have fallen back on something like teaching or uh, possibly getting into uh, another field of art. If you just limit yourself to cartooning, the field is so limited and the opportunities are very small. And it's an erratic business. You're subject to the whims of the public. That can change overnight. And what might be popular today and another month or so could be very unpopular. And it's not a very stable career, although it has been pretty good for me over the years. I had close to 30 years in the business, and for the most part, it was pretty good to me. Okay, to sum it up, do you have any comments to make that you would like to make in closing? Nothing in particular uh, that I can think of, except that I'm not quite sure whether I really want to get back into the business. I have to make up my mind, and that if I do, I think I should make it within the next few months, and perhaps something will come out of it if I get over to the convention. That might be a determining factor right there. Thank you very much.